Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, get them open to Acts chapter 13. We are so glad that you are here today on what is a pretty significant day uh, in our church's history. And we also want to make mention, in case you weren't here at the start, uh, that Brandon mentioned, uh, if you stick around uh, for just a few minutes after this service, we're going to do a combined uh, communion. We're going to take communion together, all as one church, uh, as our first Sunday as our church, and then we're going to ordain, what did you say, Brandon, ordinate? We're going to ordinate Seth Wireman into ministry. And so uh, we're actually going to ordain him. I don't know what ordinating means, so, uh, but we'll, we'll get that done, and then that'll be an exciting moment for everybody to take part in. So please. Uh, you're all invited. We'd love for you to stick around after. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you get to a black one, and see back in front of you, you get to page 979. You're going to be in Acts chapter 13 with us. Uh, we are excited uh, to get back into the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're excited to, to wrap that up, but uh, you're going to hear today we have a little bit of an audible for January before we jump back into that in February. Um, but, but if you uh, can get to Acts 13 this morning, uh, then I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and we'll get launched out in this message. Father, we are grateful uh, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. We're grateful for each and every person who's in this room, each and every person who calls this place home. And uh, as we look to your scriptures to see uh, this, this vision, God, this, this image of church, the way uh, you want it to move, uh, I pray that it would come alive for each of us. Um, I pray that it would, uh, we would be compelled by it. We would be uh, driven to awe at your design and then um, have an increasing desire to live in obedience to it. Uh, Father, we pray that you would do this uh, for your sake and for your glory alone. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, uh, we got a new uh, bed frame for Gemma, who's our second oldest. We moved some rooms around the house, and so her and Hattie had their own rooms now. And she was just sleeping on a mattress on the floor. And so uh, we got it for her, and we knew she'd be excited. And so I was like, let's just, let's let it be a surprise. Let's wait till she's gone one afternoon, and then I'll sneak in, and I'll install it. And so one Saturday afternoon, she was gone, and so you know the process. First, you get to bring the big heavy box in, and then you unbox it, and you lay out all the different pieces in order, and then you read the instructions, and one by one, piece at a time, they start coming together. And so Jim and Hattie and Kareem were gone. It was just me and the twins, our six-year-old twins. And they all throughout the process, they kept coming into Jim's room to see what I was doing. And they just always had something to say. Like, ooh, what's that big box, right? And they're like, that doesn't look like a bed. Like, well, no, it doesn't yet. You know? And then, her going to sleep on that? It's like, yes, she's going to sleep on this eventually. And then where does that piece go? And on and on and on. Because at almost no point in the process, until the very end, does it even begin to resemble a bed. Which is why by far the most repeated question I got from my six-year-old daughters in that day is, why are you doing that? And communicating with six-year-olds is a really great exercise because they are both endlessly curious and they also require the simplest of explanation to understand it. And there was an answer I came up with that met both of those standards. Whenever I was asked, why are you doing that? I just said, because this is the next step that I need to do in order to build a bed. There's a, there's a vision, right? There's an end goal in mind. I need to connect part K with part D with this little bolt and this Allen wrench because I'm doing that because it will get me one step closer to Gemma having a new bed in her room. Well, in September of 2015, First Baptist Church, Church of North Terre Haute asked me to serve as pastor. I still think you're all crazy. And the first Sunday I had in this role, we started our very first book study together. We went through the book of Acts. And as we went through that book together, God's vision for the church kept leaping off the pages. 
At a similar time, I started studying the history of our church, how at that point we were 103 years old and we had sent zero missionaries to the foreign field and had no church plants, only church splits. At the same time, I also started thinking through church as I'd experienced it my entire life. Like I've grown up in church. I've been in church pretty much every Sunday that I've been healthy. And I compared that to what we were studying in the book of Acts. And there were two deep core convictions that kept forming in my soul. And the first is this. I had never seen church done like the New Testament describes, ever. And the second was, I believed that we had all we needed with God's help to do it here. And so with great excitement and being incredibly naive, about a month into that study, I declared from this stage, we will become a sending church, we will send missionaries, and we will plant churches. And for the last nine years, by the grace of God, that has been our pursuit. We have been unboxing. We've been laying out the parts. We've been acquiring the hardware, looking again and again and again at the instructions, having to go backwards and do something right that we got wrong the first time. All of it. You've all assembled things. And there's been lots of questions, lots of wonders, but by far the most repeated is why. Why are you doing that? Why are you making that strategy? Why are you making that decision? And I can tell you this morning that all of it, and I mean all of it, has been because there's an end goal in mind. And today on Vision Sunday 2024 for Valley Church, we're going to take some time to be sure of two things. Number one, what that end goal is, what that vision is, and number two, what that means practically for each of us who call Valley home. And if you're a guest, by the way, I'm thrilled that you're here. This is not a normal Sunday. Okay, next, next, next month we're going to be right back in our study of Mark looking directly at the teachings of Jesus. I want you to be there for that. But I'm actually glad you're here today because this is not just for Valley Church. What we're going to see in the scriptures this morning is the vision and mission that God has given his entire church in his word. And we staunchly believe around here that when you follow the Lord's design and follow the Lord's lead, blessings come your way from it. And so you don't have to sit this one out, right? Buckle in and see what the Lord might have for you as well. But if Valley Church is your home, I'm so excited that you're here today. Because I'm more excited to talk about this stuff than any sermon for some time. And so to frame it, we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 13 about the church in Antioch. And so I'm going to invite Randy Jones up to read today's passage to you. He's going to be reading Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And if you're physically capable, would you please stand with him to honor the reading of the word of God? Good morning. I'm probably going to make Brandon look good because you probably don't know, but it seems like I get the most names and names of cities that are hard to pronounce. So Nobody knows how to pronounce them anyway, so just go for it. And I know it's not on purpose because I was told I was reading scripture on Tuesday and I didn't get the scripture until Thursday. So anyways, once again, here we go with, uh, well, I got to get the right page. Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananin, who had been brought up with Herod and Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Thank you, Randy. You guys have a seat. 
Please keep your Bibles open there to Acts 13. We're going to look back at Acts 11 and head to Acts 14. So just keep it, keep it open there and you can follow along with us. But just to set up how, how we got here in the book of Acts, right? In the beginning of the book of Acts, the church begins in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And the church at Jerusalem there experiences massive growth very quickly and it becomes the central hub of Christianity, And later in Acts 7 and Acts 8, when when persecution starts, the believers are scattered from Jerusalem to all sorts of outlying areas. And they, when they get there, they start planting churches, right? And for whatever reason, by the time we get to Acts 13, the church located in Antioch was by far the most successful one. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. Acts 11 tells us, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Acts chapter 11 verse 20 says this, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So what you read there is that when the church was scattered from Jerusalem, right, and a lot of the places that the Jewish believers were scattered, they shared the gospel where they ended up with Jews only, right? And, and that did not accurately represent the heart of Christ. At the very beginning of the book, he gives his mission for the church in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and he says, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? Central hub of Judaism. It's understood there's going to be lots of Jews there. Then Judea. That's it. It's outskirts of Jerusalem. Again, a lot of Jewish believers, Jewish people there. But then in Samaria, which there are no Jews there, right? And, and the Jewish people would never go to Samaria. And they're the most hated group. And then to the ends of the earth, which would be just be Gentiles. And so this idea of sharing the gospel just with Jewish people was never, ever the design. Jesus had suffered and died and rose to offer salvation and life to any who would believe in him, not just the Jews. And there was something about the believers that ended up in Antioch that understood this. It was in Antioch that they first shared the gospel with both the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Lord saw this, and the Bible tells us that he blessed this tremendously. They had large numbers of conversion, just like happened in Jerusalem. They grew very quickly. And because of this, they were then blessed with really skilled and talented leadership. I'm going to keep reading in Acts chapter 11. Look at verse 22. It says, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he, that's Barnabas, went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so what happened there is this. Barnabas is probably the most respected leader in the early church that wasn't one of the 12 apostles. And we read throughout the book of Acts about his tremendous character, his willingness to develop others, and he was a tremendous teacher. And so when he arrives, the church of Jerusalem sends him to Antioch to see what's going on. When he arrives, he's blown away at what the Lord is doing. And so he begins teaching and discipling all the believers there, and the growth keeps happening. And he realizes quickly, I cannot keep up with this demand alone. And he knows about Saul, right? Saul who would become known as the Apostle Paul and write most of the New Testament. And so he reaches out to this zealous and talented young dynamic speaker Saul and he tells him God's doing great things in Antioch. Join me and help me teach and disciple the believers here. And so Saul comes and they form this dynamic teaching team. 
Now, from what else we see in Acts 13 is that Antioch was also the first church with really great diversity. They had Jews and Gentiles, poor and rich, different races. All of this was showcasing how the power of the gospel breaks through everything. It's my theory that when Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that Christ and his gospel break down all the dividing walls between us, I think he's recalling his time in Antioch. He'd seen it happen, right? And here in chapter 13, we see this just in the listing of their elders and in their leadership, right? Barnabas is a Jew from Cyprus. Simeon was also a Jew, but he was a black man, and he found leadership in in Roman circles in the Roman government in his past. Lucius was a Gentile from northern Africa. Menean was a wealthy man who had actually previously served in King Herod's court. Yes, the same King Herod who killed John the Baptist and mocked Jesus at his trial. And then Saul is the former person persecutor and Pharisee. And so there's no reason for these five men to ever find themselves together, right? There's no reason for these five men to ever be in the same circle. And yet here they are, elders together at the church of Antioch. Despite their varied backgrounds, they lived in the unity of Christ. They served together. They pursued the Lord together. And they were just a sampling of the congregation as a whole. Verse 2 tells us that they're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting and they're doing it together. Now, I break all that down to basically tell you this. Everything was going great at Antioch, right? By every measurement that's ever been valued or deemed successful in my church experience, Antioch gets an A+. Right? This is definitely a place where everything is going so well. You'd be crazy to mess with it. You'd be crazy to change it. Don't fix it because it's not broke. And God showed up and changed it. Because as great as everything was at Antioch, they were still missing one thing. They were missing the heart of God. Henry Martin, who's a missionary, says this. He says, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. See, the heart of God has always been a missionary heart. It's always been on the move. It's always in pursuit. It's always sending because his desire is for all to come to him. We see this laid out in the scriptures, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman. John 3, maybe the most famous passage in the Bible, for God loved the world in this way. How did he love us? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. At the end of the book of John, Jesus gathers his disciples together and he says to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Here's what I'm doing. I'm also sending you. And then his last instruction to them before the church began, we've already looked at it once this morning. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And here's the thing, though, about that instruction from Jesus. The book of Acts is an incredible book. It tells the story of the church first beginning, and there's so much great stuff in it, right? The gospel is being shared. There's large numbers of people believing. The believers, uh, we read about them like having everything in common. They're being incredibly generous to one another. There's powerful prayers happening. It's awesome. But for some reason, despite the fact that Despite all that's going right in the book of Acts, the church always needed a push from God to actually fulfill their calling. That when it came to multiplying and when it came to sending, it just didn't happen until God intervened. 
The church at Jerusalem grew and grew and grew and grew, and you'd be hard-pressed to find anything wrong there. Right? They grew so much that they needed to create deacons to handle the serving of food to widows. There were so many widows. That's how big the church was. But if you look deeper, there's no record of any missionaries ever being sent. No churches being planted intentionally. No one ever leaving Jerusalem and going out with gospel intentionality. And all that changed in Acts 8 when the Lord allowed persecution to break out and believers are scattered, not by choice, but by force. And then all of a sudden, there are churches in Judea and Samaria and elsewhere, just as they were told to do. And then Antioch almost recreates Jerusalem. They blow up. So much good is happening. But what they're doing is they're just recreating what happened in Jerusalem. There's large numbers. They're hoarding talent and skill that there's no sending. And so God shows up in an elders meeting and says, you guys might think that it's all great, but here's what I need. I need you to give me your two most prominent, most talented teachers and send them away immediately because I've got work for them to do elsewhere. Now think about how that might change your weekly church experience. I've been in church my entire life, right? Every Sunday growing up was taken by my parents. I studied the church in college and had to attend Malta ones while studying. I've served in a church for the last 22 years, and I've noticed some things, some things that don't align with the scriptures, things that for far too much of my life I've been complicit in, but I'm fighting against with all that I have. What I've noticed is that we in the American church, and I'm talking regardless of denomination, We in the American church have been trained and indoctrinated in the idea that church needs to cater to you. That there needs to be peer-specific, age-specific, gender-specific, season-of-life-specific ministries created and catered just for you. And there can be some wisdom in those ministries for a season of time. But that idea carrying out over the lifetime of church membership spells disaster. Second, Instead of going against the culture, the church is expected to cater to it, following its rhythms and schedules and demands, and then offering what it can at the times that require the least amount of effort and convenience from its members. And all of this can be done with the purest of hearts and intentions, and all of it can mean well, but none of those intentions and none of those meanings make it any more biblical. And they actually cover something far more concerning lurking underneath, and that is that the idea that the church is to remove all the cost of pursuing Jesus. Now, I need to be clear. Traditional, religious, denominational, or human barriers that keep people from Jesus, they need to go. They need to be gone. There's a lot in the letters of the New Testament that are about that very idea. But we also need to be clear on this. There's absolutely zero discipleship to Jesus Christ without cost. Zero. And his church cannot pretend that's true. It was Jesus himself in Mark 8 who said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. It's those, Jesus says, who give up their lives, who give up their preferences, who give up their conveniences, who give up their preferred style and times and colors and schedules. It's those who find life. Life in Jesus, life to the full, life as God intended it, the exact type of life the church should be pushing you towards, not keeping you from. Which is why we see again and again in his scriptures, God does not stop and he will not settle and he is not pleased until his church is selfless and humble and on the go and willing to endure cost and constantly sending. And so he shows up at Antioch and changes everything. 
Now give the leaders of Antioch this much credit. When they were called by the Lord, what they do? They obeyed. Give me your two best teachers and send them off. What they do? Look at verse 3. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. There's two important things I want you to take note of there. Number one is that the church remained an active participant in this. Right? They sought the Lord. They're trying to confirm, you, you mean this, God, right? Because this is kind of a big deal, right? You mean that you want these two, right? They confirmed the calling, and then they commissioned Barnabas and Saul and sent them off with their favor and their blessing. This was not a split. This was not a breakup. They were sent out intentionally. Saul and Barnabas were still a part of Antioch, right? They saw them as an extension of their ministry wherever the Lord would take them. And, and Saul and Barnabas still saw themselves as part of the church of Antioch. I turn with me one page in your Bible to Acts chapter 14. And I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 26. Verse 26 is going to say uh, the word they. This is, me. this is Saul and Barnabas. Acts 14, verse 26. From, from there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything that God had done with them and that he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable uh, time with the disciples. Do you see what happened? They came back to Antioch. They gathered the church together. They gave a report. They told of everything that God had done, uh, and they all celebrated together just as if it had happened right there in Antioch. That's multiplication. That's sending. The second most more powerful thing to note is this, is that in this act of obedience, the Antioch church wasn't concerned about what this meant for them. Now think about it. Things had been going really great they really liked their gatherings. They really liked Saul's teaching and Barnabas's teaching. They liked who they sat next to. They were happy. They were comfortable. Everything was going good, and God said, great, let's change that. And God bless them, they obeyed. And God bless them because there's been plenty of churches, countless churches since, with that same opportunity that shows comfort and familiarity over obedience. And so you might be wondering, what... What did happen to the church of Antioch after this? We don't really know. We don't know because Acts continues to follow Saul and Barnabas in their travels. Maybe Antioch kept growing like crazy. Maybe nothing really changed. Maybe they just stayed steady and the growth kind of stopped. Maybe it was a slow decline from there. Maybe they never, ever, ever returned to their heyday again. But what we do know is what happened because of their obedience. Because of their obedience, churches were planted in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and Thessalonica and more. Because of their obedience, Paul and Barnabas' apprentices went to places like Colossae and Greece and more. And for 2,000 years now, the church of Jesus all over the world has been blessed by the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he was associated with are the leaders that he had discipled because Antioch sent him. In those letters of the New Testament, our theology has been shaped rightly. Our faith has been encouraged. Our love for Christ has been deepened. Our view of the church has been strengthened because God inspired that man's writings and included it in his word. Now, there's no way possible Antioch could have known. If we're going to be obedient here, God will bless every church that will ever come after this. They couldn't have known that. All they knew is this. Number one, they could either keep or send off their best guys. And number two, God told them to. And so they did, to their loss and their tremendous gain, and to ours. 
And nine years ago, studying this book and seeing Antioch and God's peculiar choice to break that up and his insistence on sending and multiplying and their obedience started a fire around here that's not been put out. And so, yes, maybe it was naively that I blurted out, we're going to be a sinning church without knowing at the time all that would mean and all that would cost and all that would require and all that would need to happen. But I can assure you this, every single decision that has been made has been made with one thing in mind, being obedient to that vision, becoming a sending church. Just as it was with the bed, the unboxing, the different pieces of the frame coming together, all with one end goal in mind. And everything you've ever experienced, every strategy that's been employed, every choice that's been made, everything that's been kept the same, and everything that's been changed, none of it has been about preference, none of it has been about style, or appearance, or growth, or attendance, or money, or success, or failure. Everything has been run through the singular prism of why not here? Why not us? Why not become the sending church God desires? And so is it scalable? Can it be multiplied? Can it be sent? If so, we're doing it. If not, we're not. Does this develop more and more people? Can ministry be shared? Is there a plurality of leaders? Can people be, feel loved in it? If so, let's roll. If not, we're not interested. Will this get us to a point where if God shows up and asks for leaders or families or church members or an entire portion of our church to go out and plant, to be sent off for his glory and mission, are we prepared in our facilities and our technology? Do we have a ministry structure ready to absorb that? Have we developed people so they're ready to be sent? Have we created the culture where sending and multiplication are cherished and valued and respected, not fought against and ignored? That's been the entire framework. The problem remains that we're imperfect. You know that, right? We've had elders since 2017. These guys deserve your tremendous respect, all current and past ones, because we've never had elders before, and I've never led elders before. And so what that means is at this point, I've ran them through what feels like 20 different models trying to figure out what works. And they've gotten all kinds of confusing directions and starts and stops from me, because I don't know what I'm doing yet, except for one thing, I believe in the model. We believe in the plurality of leadership in the church. We believe in unity and shared load. And so we're gonna keep swinging. We're not abandoning the model. Our group ministry is not perfect yet. Perfect is such an unattainable word anyways. But what we have this morning is more and more people pursuing that model than ever before. Groups connecting, groups forming right now with the stated goal that we will be transparent and open with one another. Groups forming new connections, raising up leaders, readying themselves for multiplication. No, it's not perfect, but we believe in multiplication. We believe in development. We believe in it being a breeding ground for sending and planting, and so we're going to keep swinging. Church, I can never promise you perfection. I can't even promise competency. But what I can promise is this. We will do everything we can to align in obedience to what God has called this church to be in the scriptures. We will pursue obedience for the glory of our king. And so on this first Sunday in 2024, we welcomed you to Valley Church for the first time, a name that signifies our unabashed commitment to sending and going and multiplying. And this is so because the zeal and the passion and the heartbeat for church the way God has designed it has not wavered not one bit. This is so because by the grace of God alone, through the work of God alone, by the power of God alone, and for the glory of God alone, we will be the sending church he's called us to be. Now, it's at this point, whether you know it or not, you should be really thankful. Because I wrote a sermon for today that this was not even the halfway point. 
And that was after I cut a ton of material. And so we called an audible, because we're not gonna do that to you, right? Instead, we're gonna use the month of January to flesh these things out together. And so what I'm gonna do for you today is I wanna identify the three pillars that will, perform, that will form our pursuit of being the sending church. And we're gonna spend time in the coming weeks unpacking each one of these more fully. And then we will close today asking for some communal commitments from all of us as a whole who belong here. And so first... As we become a sending church, there's going to be three pillars of this ministry that will impact you directly. There are three things that we're praying for you, three things that we're instructing you in and equipping you for and launching you into. And those three things are this, formation, service, and yes, you probably guessed it by now, sending. Right, the vision for formation is laid out clearly in the scriptures. Colossians chapter 3 says, since you have put off the old self with its practices, right, and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator, right? We are justified fully in Jesus Christ, right? Our position with God is secure because of his death and resurrection. All of us who are in him are secured by his grace and his work. It's not by anything we've done. Right? And though we are new creations, we still live every day with that same old sinful nature. And so a major pillar of our church is, will be our combined pursuit of embracing this new self, this new creation that we have in Jesus. That all of us, together as a church and as individuals, will be becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus, pursuing living in his character and likeness. So to help us with this, in our teaching, we're going to be pointing you to rhythms and rules of life that Jesus taught and modeled for us, right? And the idea is that the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you will love Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, the more you'll know how much he loves you, and the more you'll actually become like your king. Our second emphasis on service will likely be different than what many of you have experienced in church before, right? And it's true that everything we do around here requires volunteers, Right? And so there's a forever need uh, for servants just to do church, right? But we have to also not only recognize but celebrate this fact that the areas for service here within these walls, within our church, will always be limited and the opportunities for serving Christ outside these walls will always be endless. And so it's our goal to equip you to do more and more ministry outside these walls, more and more Monday through Saturday, more and more living for your king every single day, and that's what we're going to be celebrating. Because one of the best ways to love people is to serve them. And the third pillar is either sending or being sent. And we will never stop pursuing this. This week, Pastor Seth and I are going to a conference, and the focus of the conference is what are the next steps you take if you feel the Lord has called you into missions? And the idea is this, they ask pastors to come. The idea is this, that when someone in our midst feels at that tug from the Lord, we will be the place that pours gas in that fire. We want to equip you, we want to prepare you, we want to commission you, we want to send you out just as the Antioch church did. And so we're going to study and prepare just for that. Next month, uh, one of our elders, Dr. Scholl and I are going to Nicaragua. And we're going to be visiting multiple villages, pr pr villages prayerfully looking for our next village partnership as a church for a place that we as a church can multiply all the blessings and, and skills and gifts and experiences that God has given us to bless other people. There's people to love and to serve and to send teams to and to share the gospel with and to bring the hope of Jesus to. And what binds all these three pillars is love for God and love for others. And man, I can't tell you how much is killing me not just to spend all kinds of time on each of them, right? But coming weeks, I promise you. 
Now, I also told you that we'd be looking for some communal, gathered commitments this morning. And so here's what we're asking from you today. The first is easiest. Commit to hearing this out in full. Just be here all month. Hear, hear this thing out in full, right? And if you get sick or you're out of town, we have a website, we have a podcast, we have a YouTube channel, just track it, okay? The second commitment gets a lot harder. Put yourself last. We don't call you to do this enough in the church, even though it's literally baked into every call of the scriptures. Philippians chapter two says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Here's what we have to recognize. It's impossible to become like Jesus if you do not embrace his attitude. It's impossible to become like Jesus if you do not embrace his attitude. You'll always find a reason to never go or never be sent if your experience matters more than the people with the we could impact. And there's so much less joy in service if you remain self-focused. In recent weeks, just right here in our church, we've had single moms bringing all their kids by themselves to services to worship. We have 30 new members trying to assimilate themselves in the body. We have new people who've come to faith in the Lord. We have people who've come to me actively seeking out mentorship and discipleship. We saw, you remember this? We saw an entire family baptized on Christmas Eve. I've never seen that in all my days. And in response to all that, this is just, I'm only speaking for myself here. I hope other people have different experiences. This is just what I've experienced in that same season Instead of people coming up to me and saying how amazing God is or offering to meet with and mentor some of those new believers or asking to be introduced to newer folks and to invite them for lunch and dinner. Instead of that, I've had multiple people come to me and criticize paint color and service times and building changes. And if we're ever going to embrace sending, that ratio needs to flip, church. It needs to flip now. And forget being sent, right? There are people first right here in our midst who are hurting and struggling and going through a difficult time right now. There are people right here in our midst who are new in their faith and walking through a really challenging season. And they don't need our opinions on random things, but they do need your experience of walking with Jesus through the hardest times of your life. They do need your selflessness. They do need your humility. They do need your ability to see them and notice them and your willingness to reach out to them. And what they need is your encouragement to keep following Jesus. So we are asking for your commitment that with the Lord's help, we will increasingly adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, to let our opinions and let our preferences and let, our, let seeing everything through the prism self fall to the wayside as we begin to look up and see the opportunities that God has placed right in front of us. And the last commitment we're looking for is this. Ask God to increase your desire to multiply. Here's the craziest thing I've experienced. Far too often, though multiplication is baked into every single page in the New Testament, far too often when it comes time to multiply, this is resisted and even outright rejected in churches. We are asking you, Valley Church, to embrace this. We're asking you to embrace it because our God is a multiplying God, which means that he is constantly taking really small gestures of faithfulness and multiplying them to levels that no one could think of. 
The church of Antioch in Acts 13 could have been short-sighted. They could have thought only about them and their services and their experience, and they could have kept their focus of investment. No, God, this is, there's good things happening in this city. Let's keep it right here. But by sending Paul and Barnabas off, God's kingdom expanded and multiplied and grew, and that impact is still being felt by every single local church in this world today. Church, if we commit to ensuring that God's blessings do not end with us, if we pick up our eyes and look out and get them off ourselves, if we pursue the character and love and likeness of Jesus, if we ask him for ways to serve him and others in our lives, and if we obey the call to either be sent or help send someone else or both, then I promise you this, there is absolutely no limit to what our little acts of faithfulness can accomplish in the hands of a multiplying God. I'm here today in this role, in this faith, because someone invited my own father to a revival in Albion, Indiana, 60 years ago. He was not being raised in a Christian home. No one in his family knew the Lord. But he went, based on the simple invitation, and he gave his life to the Lord. Two nights later, at his invitation, his parents went, and they gave their life to the Lord. And listen to me, it literally changed the eternal trajectory of generations in my family. And it all started with one small invitation. We don't need to build a brand. We don't need to invite news cameras out every time we do something good as a church. We don't need to formalize everything or give titles to everyone. We, don't, we just simply need to be faithful in everyday moments. Keep our eyes up off of ourselves and our wishes and our preferences and keep them focused on Jesus and other people. And if we're willing to be multiplied, we're willing to be sent, and we're willing to sin, God will 100% do this. He wants this more than we want it. And the impact of this group of people and this little church called Valley will multiply all over our city, all over our valley, all over our state, all over our world, and through generations. What more could we ever want to be a part of than that? So to close our service today, we're going to just give you some time to think through these commitments we're asking from you. To just pray and seek the Lord and on, 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 to, to just have him inspect your own willingness and your own readiness, your own preparedness to be up for this. And in, in, in this time, be honest, be frank, be open with him and just ask him to lead you as he would. There's some guidance in the screens that you need it, but this is your time with the Lord.